the Chinese Communist Party is now telling, we'll say telling, suggesting, which really means they're ordering companies, Chinese companies that are filing their prospectus to go public to lay off on the risk analysis. Apparently, they want they want these companies to use terms like the economy is evolving rather than adverse changes are in the offing. I mean, apparently, these these companies are being honest with their filings with with the SEC saying, yeah, China's a mess and it could get a lot worse, but we're still going to go public and uh, et cetera. Shareholders be warned. And uh, the Chinese government saying, oh, don't do that anymore. You can't. You got to be got to be nicer in your risk analysis. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, August 18th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in Silicon Valley. My name is Mike Malone. And I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman of NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove, who I'm happy to say is on the mend and back in the game. And our host is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, it's great to see you in a car <laughs> instead of a studio. This reminds us of the earliest days of this podcast when we were actually recording out of the cab of my pickup truck. <laughs> Some days so we're like in a old... car on the go, yeah. Hello. Yeah, okay. Um Interesting news this week coming out of Intel. Uh, apparently, Intel had a really good deal with a company called Tower Semiconductor in Israel. They were going to buy that company for, I think, $5.4 billion. So they're a chip maker. They're a fabricator. And it looked like it was going to be a great deal for everybody because Intel doesn't want to keep fabbing its older chips in his brand spanking new facilities it's building. And so it needs to increase its footprint in, in uh, fab. Deal was all approved everywhere. And then China steps in and their regulators put the kibosh on it and the deal is off. Now, you can kind of understand why China's doing this. Uh, the obvious business reason is that they make low end chips and they don't want to, you know, they don't want competition inside of Intel. They want Intel to keep, you know, sending them business. On the other hand, it also seems to be quite connected with the whole economic battle going on between the U.S. and China. And this is just kind of a way of sticking it to a U.S. company. What do you think? I've read analysis that says both, actually. Uh, and we've talked about this before with global industries like the chip industry and the whole flat earth thing, it's not just passing U.S. regulation anymore or even regulation between the two countries that the deals you know, would affect. It now has to pass the EU. It has to pass China inspection. And in this case, yeah, there are all sorts of reasons why China might have kiboshed the deal, but they did. And I think it's it should be a red flag warning to companies that want to do big deals uh, globally, because you now have to please everybody. And some countries are either going to be at rivals, you know, rivaling you economically and or rivaling you politically. And that could come into play. Well, I mean, an awful lot of U.S. tech companies have left China now. And the country seems to be, as we've discussed, seems to be in a serious economic crisis. And apparently it's getting the seven plagues of Egypt, too. I mean, it looks 
typhoons and floods and everything else. Um, why didn't Intel just tell China to go pound sand, go pound silicon sand? You know th that they don't need them anymore. I mean, is the Chinese is the Chinese consumer electronics products industry that big that they can tell U.S. semiconductor companies what deals they can make? I mean, the short answer is, yeah, probably it is not just on the business side, but even more so, perhaps on the consumer side, Cut, you know, companies like Apple, uh, not to mention Intel, Tesla, they're all very dependent on the Chinese consumer. Uh, and so I, I think it's a relationship that they don't want to disturb. And so I wonder if Intel doesn't tell the Chinese authorities to pound sand, but rather backs off and says, OK, we're disappointed, but we're going to move forward in other ways. But again, raising that red flag for other companies that there are lots of potholes ahead if you want to consummate a big merger. Yeah, well, um, I think it's very interesting that what this is going to do to Intel. Intel has, Gelsinger, the CEO, has publicly stated that he is his goal is to make Intel once again the world leader in transistor performance and um, uh, transistor performance and power performance at the chip level by 2025. And they're racing fast. It seems like tower was kind of a second tier part of that process that if they could just get their existing chips and the user base for them moved out somewhere else, they could really focus on driving using these new fabs to, to try to regain leadership in the chip in the chip industry especially in the US. You think this sets them back? I do. I don't think it sets it back a whole bunch. I mean, Intel has been its own worst enemy for what a couple of decades now. So no yeah. one deal could really hurt it that much. Uh it needs to change its focus. It needs to get into the mobile game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It needs to get into AI, into smart cars. Um and this might have helped but I think Intel uh, and its CEO know that one deal wasn't going to be the difference and it still needs sure. to make changes before it becomes a really, really relevant chip company again. Well, I think it gives an interesting vision of what's going to happen in the semiconductor industry, that Intel is going to try to keep all the high-end stuff now in the U.S. and really start building up fab around the world for the you know, this, the cheaper chips, the lower performance chips, the consumer chips and that kind of thing. The kind of thing that China was leading at. I think Intel's, we may see Intel buying, trying to buy up other places around the world. And that'll be an interesting question if China is going to try to veto all of that move. Yeah, I mean, look, we've just spent, what, five minutes talking about Intel? Uh, nobody else does because everyone else is talking about NVIDIA and Qualcomm and even AMD. Uh, Intel really needs to find a way to be relevant again. If it's buying other companies, cutting deals in other countries, great. But nobody's talking about Intel for five minutes at a time right now. It's just not in the game as a big player right now. Yeah, but we're in the Valley and we're thinking about this stuff, yes. you know, yes. and We've seen the we've seen all the other companies take off, and Gelsinger seems to be playing very close to the vest on what his plans are. I mean, you got the U.S. government to give him a ton of money, you know that sort of thing. Though there are rumors that Intel may have another big layoff. 
of several thousand engineers and employees. So we'll see, but he still seems to think he can pull this off. We'll see. I mean, this company has been out of the game long enough. It may not have the energy anymore, you know, the vitality to be in hired and been able to hire enough really good employees as a mature firm to actually act like a really fast moving hot chip company again. We'll see. Um, okay. I saw this one in the Wall Street Journal. It came out of the blue. It kind of interesting. Have you ever heard of a company called Brex? B-R-E-X. It's a credit card company, commercial credit card company. Okay. It turns out that the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, We uh, the stories we were all told was all the money that came out of SVB went flying into big, safe, old, mature banks like J.P. Morgan Chase. But it turns out that $3 billion of it went into this company called Brex. And their holdings now have jumped from $4 billion to $7 billion in just a matter of months. 4,000 accounts created, and 80% of them are still holding that money. So, you know, it, it's interesting. You read the major news, and then, you know, some little sidebar story tells you who the other winners are. And it looks like Brex came out smelling like a rose on this on this SVB collapse. What do you think? I don't even know where they are. Are they here? They're here. The they're on the East Coast. They're everywhere. And they were a really nimble company. And they did have a very, very, for the best word I can think of, eager presence as SVB went down. They were recruiting people on Twitter, you know, social media sites saying, hey, come to us. You're losing a friend. They're talking straight directly to venture capitalists and startup CEOs. You're losing your longtime Silicon Valley friend. Too bad. We'll miss them. Maybe we'll even hire some of them. But meanwhile, come over to us. We can handle your money and we can be the next sort of nimble player when it comes to handling VC money and startup money. And they really got some uh, converts in the days when SVB was going down. You're right. The biggest money and all the attention seemed to go to the big banks. But there were some smaller, more nimble companies like Brex in there, too. And uh, they were recruiting with both hands. Oh, we gotta get the name of the CEO. This guy moved fast and he moves smart. And uh, you know, maybe they are the next Silicon Valley bank. I mean, I know that most of the VCs around here and the startups, they they need a friend. You know, they they need somebody they can trust who know who understands the business they're in because the big boys they've never really understood this valley and they've never understood the relationship between VCs and entrepreneurs and banks. SVB had that for whatever their flaws were. They understood that. And if, if Brex can do it, bully for them. I'm, I'm interested in finding out who's running the show over there because he, he pulled off a home run on that one. Okay. We're going to be talking a lot about, I think, China and chips. Um, the Chinese Communist Party is now telling, we'll say telling, suggesting, which really means they're ordering companies, Chinese companies that are filing their prospectus to go public, to lay off on the risk analysis. Apparently, they want they want these companies to use terms like the economy is evolving rather than adverse changes are in the offing. 
I mean, apparently these these companies are being honest with their filings with with the SEC saying, yeah, China's a mess and it could get a lot worse, but we're still going to go public and uh, et cetera. Shareholders be warned. And uh, the Chinese government saying, oh, don't do that anymore. You can't you got to be got to be nicer in your risk analysis. How is that going to help get investors to buy stock in a company when you know that the government of that company's country is telling them to shut up about the dangers ahead? How is that supposed to work? I mean, I, I don't know that it will work. I think if a company is successful, people are going to want it. Again, the flat earth doesn't matter where it's from. If they're doing good business, people will jump in. The problem with some of these Chinese companies right now is that the overall economy is struggling. And as dependent as we are on the consumers, if the overall economy struggles, the worry is that that will trickle down to the consumer who will buy less. And therefore, investors will get spooked. And that's how it works in every country, including our own. And so, you know, PR is PR, messaging is messaging. We see that here all the time from companies uh, that right size, and I put that in quotes, um, instead oh, yeah. of just announced layoffs. That's, you know, one of the obvious examples. But uh, you just have to learn to read through that messaging if you're going to be a responsible investor, no matter where you live. Well, sure. You don't have to read that far through. I mean, if it's a company <laughs> in Omaha, company in Omaha gives you a risk analysis, you know, it's probably kind of softened a little bit to make them look you know, a safer investment. But when you know that the country is complicit in giving you a false image of a company about to go public, why would you get anywhere near that company? I mean, right. I, I don't know that people here are going to get anywhere near those individual companies. They may buy a China tech ETF or something, but it takes a lot of risk to buy uh, any of these companies that are doing, let's say, an ADR, because you just can't track them as closely. I know we're getting a bit into the weeds here, but, you know, do your homework, and that will keep you away from a lot of these companies until and unless they show strong results post-IPO. And I would say that about any American company as well. I've always found when I'm looking at a perspective, the worst, the risk analysis the more I trust the company is doing pretty well. I mean, Google's, I remember reading Google's uh, perspectives, had a really strong risk analysis of everything that could possibly go wrong. And you think to yourself, these guys are pretty damn confident in their future. They're willing to talk about everything. So anyway, we'll see the effect. I think Chinese companies have a lot worse things to worry about right now than the nature of their risk analysis uh, statements. Okay, uh, Wall Street seems to be more confident these days. There's a lot more talk about a soft landing. Maybe we'll escape the, the, the potential recession and all that. But there's one counter indicator that people don't really notice, but because we're bound to the weeds again, but it's worth watching. And that is that long-term U.S. Treasury yields are now below those of short-term, and that's called a inverted yield curve. I remember from business school, grad school, it it suggests that there's some kind of underlying concern about the health of the economy long-term that people are, you know, giving more credit. Uh, give, 
seeing more investment in uh, long-term, uh, short-term yields than long-term yields. That's not a sign of optimism. So it's not something we normally look at. So you don't get up in the morning and you look at bond yields, though apparently a lot of people will tell you that's actually the way to live in this world if you're going to be an investor. Uh, but the, as long as this is inverted, this is a this is a concern because it's often been a harbinger of recession. That it correlates pretty closely as opposed to some of the other uh, indexes and indicators. Well, look, if you're talking about recession, the news hasn't been better uh, than it is right now for a long time. There was a lot of fear of recession. In fact, we had inflation. We had interest rates rising. Now inflation has slowed. The outlook for interest rates seems to slow as well. But look where we are. Prices are still fairly high. Mortgage rates above 7% right now, as you and I speak. I realize they fluctuate quite a bit. But there is a feeling that even with fairly low unemployment rates, decent wages, and price growth slowing, it's still an expensive market out there. And I think that's why people are worried about the long term, because things tend to change so quickly in the short term. And so you see these surveys that come out, whether politically, as we head into another election season, or just flat out economically, that people will say, hey, my job is good. My wages are good. I've got what I want. I'm, I'm housed, et cetera, et cetera. How do I feel about the economy? I'm very negative. <laughs> and so, I, you know, people are just nervous. And, and I don't know how you turn that around, because even in good times, people seem to fear whatever it is that's that's just ahead. Sure. I think uh, it's interesting that Americans are more flexed with cash than they've been in a long time, but they're also not paying their credit cards. That that credit levels that is climbing very fast. And that's a that's a weird counter indicator, too. I don't sure. I'm not sure what it means. If you're really expecting hard times, don't you take your cash and get your credit down so you don't you know, the debt collectors aren't coming after you. But if you feel like good times are coming, you know, why are you saving cash? Well, I, I don't, don't I think the credit thing could be, you know, all of a sudden we've seen this explosion in travel and luxury goods and people getting out after being inside for a couple of years. I understand that. But you're right. The surprise is, A, people are running up credit debt and B, at least responding to these surveys by saying, no, I'm not that confident about my economic future. And those yeah. two things definitely don't go hand in hand. No, they don't. It's just been a weird economic few years. Here. That's all I can say. Nothing, nothing. There's nothing predictable about anything we've been through. OK, uh, in Arizona, I don't know if you read about this, but uh, the world's largest chip maker, as long as we're back on chips, it seems inevitable these days, uh, TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation. Remember, they're trying to get off the island of Formosa and get elsewhere in the world, especially in the United States, near the chip designers. Uh, they say the opening, they're building that giant chip factory in Arizona. Well, now they've come out and said that the opening of the factory has been delayed due to a shortage of skilled American workers. And then you can imagine what the uh, uh, the unions are saying about that, especially when T TSMC is saying, uh, we need to get, uh, we need to bring over 500 Taiwanese workers to do the job right. Um, that's how you become a really good corporate citizen in your new country. 
<laughs> yeah, your your people can't do what we do. They're incompetent, especially the unions. We're going to bring in our guys to do this. What do you think? I think they pulled off quite the double here. They pulled off simultaneously a slap in the face and a self-own. Like, oh, it can't be the American workers. We need our own workers. Meanwhile, kind of admitting that if you're going to go to work for a chip company based here, why wouldn't you choose NVIDIA or Qualcomm or AMD? I could name a few others where you're going to get some good back-end stock gains. You're going to get a high salary. You're going to feel proud of your own country. And so, yeah, they're sort of hitting at American workers and saying you're not good enough. But they're also admitting all the really good ones are going to all these other companies that are red hot right now. Yeah, and I want to see all those uh, semiconductor company buyers going down to Arizona and uh, having to walk the picket line at TSMC that's been put up by the uh, Arizona Pipe uh, Trades uh, Union Local for, uh, what is it, 469. Well, yeah. not to get too... Get that, warm, get that warm welcome. Welcome to TSMC. Yeah. I think warm is the operative word here. I mean, you know, not to get too much of a homer here, but would you rather be at the Silicon Valley headquarters of NVIDIA in Santa Clara, where you've got this gorgeous campus and a high this summer of maybe in the 90s, or Arizona, where they had, what, 30 days in a row of 110 degrees? I mean, come on. Yeah. Granted, the housing here is more expensive. I get it, and I get it, but come on. Yeah, uh, I think we see the writing on the wall. I, I don't think TSMC understands this country as well as it thinks it does. It's, it's been selling us chips for a long time. That doesn't mean they understand the American spirit. Okay, two, two more things. Uh, the Hollywood writer's strike is still on. Uh, has anyone noticed? Have you noticed? Have you been out to uh, uh, look at the companies where they're striking out here? Well, so yeah, we we did a story at uh, NVIDIA headquarters where there had some, some writers and some uh, actors striking. Not nearly the crowds they're getting in Los Angeles and New York, understandably. But also the other night was at uh, premiere night for Cinequist, the Silicon Valley Film Festival. And it was one of the more exciting nights because all the energy was with the independent filmmakers the directors, yeah. the producers, the indie actors, because they can talk about their movies. And I think they see in a local film festival uh, an opportunity to take, let's call it the spotlight and say, hey, we support our brothers and sisters, uh, you know, who are picketing right now. But look, there are some indie films that you can see. And so the the question will be Cinequest, what happened. I mean, Cinequest shut down because of COVID for what, two years, three years. It's good to see him back. Right. They were also excited because, right, it's back in person in an actual theater. But I, I think the strike is now starting to get long enough where people are saying, what's going to happen when Hollywood runs out of new big, you know, blockbuster products? Uh, does anyone survive other than, say, a Netflix or a streaming giant like, you know, a Disney? I, it's uh, these companies that already have content. I think it's sort of like sitting on gunpowder where at some point the big Hollywood studios that need to make movies have to cut deals. I just don't understand what they do without writers and actors. We, uh, we're discovering the wonders of uh, long-term uh, Australian and uh, Canadian network series. Yeah, I mean, we'll see more from all over the world. Um, but again, where do those go? Those go to the streaming services. They don't go 
necessarily to movie theaters. That's correct. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, for now, you know, there's 11 seasons of McLeod's Daughters. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, welcome to Australia. Okay, finally, and related to you, you I'm sure you're taking this one personally. Uh, TV viewing has dipped uh, for the first time ever below 50% of people looking at screens. Uh, comments, thoughts? Have you become a historic anachronism now in network <laughs> television? Uh, I mean, goodness, I, I saw this the other day. I tweeted it out right away. It started a conversation. It's absolutely understandable. Um, I mean, uh, you know, who do you know under name the age that that says oh my first choice is broadcast television i mean unless it's sports and you know bless them news uh people are turning to streaming much more often the streaming numbers were much higher than either cable or broadcast tv which you're right combined you know was below 50 percent for the first time um i think you have to be nimble um there is a reason why i say yes to my friend who has a podcast there's a reason I say yes to people on the radio. There's a reason I keep up my social media feeds. If you want to reach people, you have to go where they're going. And we love to bring them to TV, but you have to reach out to them first. And um, their default is streaming media and, and stuff they download. And I get it. Uh, you know, look at my life. Them. Right. You know? And I watched, I was a newspaper man. I watched nobody, people stopping reading newspapers watch television my whole life you know but i find i spend more time looking at this screen than i do at the television screen and well i know you have millions of twitter followers you know and um and there and around the world i mean it's it's a measure of you of our modern life that this is the way it is well but TV not millions but still, right bless you um you know? Yeah. And it's says something about our times that if someone's going to come up to me on the street, uh, it has been this way for a bit now. They're more likely to say, hey, I read this on Twitter than I saw this on TV. And, and I know I'm not just speaking of myself. That's where people get their news. And uh, and I get it. You know, we have to reach out. Um, and uh, these are sobering numbers, but they're numbers that especially those of us in the Silicon Valley saw coming a mile away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I saw that in newspapers 20 years before it became obvious that newspapers were lo losing their subscribers to the graveyard, not to, competi not to competition. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that happy note, <laughs> uh, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on, now I'm going to list all the screens. Ready? Uh, Silicon Valley, well, there's print, Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage still a screen, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Everybody have a great weekend. Uh, those in uh, California, get ready for that hurricane to drop a bunch of water on us. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.